0: Amen. Good morning, Relentless Church. My name is Raf. For those uh, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, I am so excited to be here worshiping with you today. If you are a guest or or a visitor, maybe you've been with us uh, for a little while, but um, you've yet to connect with us, I encourage you to go on our uh, website, relentlesschurch.cc, and fill out a connect card. You can also Scan the QR code on the uh, the Connect board out in the lobby, but that's just a way to give us uh, your contact info, and we can reach out to you and let you know more about the church and, and uh, figure out how we can get you plugged in. So hope to to hear from, from you uh, there. Um, I want to talk today about the idea of being homesick. That's kind of the title of my message this morning. It's called homesick. Now I don't know if you've ever experienced being homesick. Maybe it was the first time, like you ever slept. Uh, had a sleepover as a kid, or, or maybe it was when you went away to to camp for the first time, or or maybe you're like me and you lived in the same place uh, your entire life, and then uh, for 29 years, and then and then you you kind of moved to a new place and you experience homesick and culture shock all in one. <laughs> okay, so that's that's me. I'll tell you a little bit about my my story briefly. Um, I, I was born and raised in in uh, Boston and lived there for 29 years, and then as many many stories go. Um, for people like me, I met a girl. <laughs> and uh, she, her family lived in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, we fell in love and decided we want to get married. And she wanted to go home. And uh, I, I, it wasn't an easy decision, but it was kind of an easy decision. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but I told her, hey, here's, uh, here's the deal. I'll give you one year. We'll try it for one year. We had a contract, drew up and everything. I, saw, I got direct TV, NFL Sunday ticket in there, so I don't miss any Patriots games. I'll try it for one year. If I don't like it, we're going back, okay? And so that was kind of the deal. Fast forward seven years later, I'm still living in Kentucky, and I'm like, all right, well, here it is. But that first year was, uh, it was the hardest for me. It was, and I, and I experienced homesick, like, for, uh, you know, to, to no end, really. And, and it was a lot of things, you know, I think initially, uh, one of the things that stood out was just... Um, you know i remember laying in bed in our in our new apartment and and the silence was like deafening i don't know like it was so quiet that it's like loud and i just couldn't sleep and i'm like what do you hear that what is that my wife looks at me like nature? Is that what you're talking about? Like nature outside? Yeah, that's okay. That's normal. And I'm like, no, no, it's not normal for me. Like I want sirens and car alarms and people yelling and loud music and like that whole, that whole deal. Like, you know, they have those little sound machines for babies. Like I need one of those things with, with sounds of the city to put me at ease. You know what I mean? Cause I was in the middle of horse country and I didn't know what was going on. Okay. I, uh, I remember, um, and this is going to sound weird, but go with me. Okay. I was thrown off because the people were so nice. It was a little bit like, it's, that's a good thing. It ended up being a great thing. But at first, I didn't know how to take it. Like, I'm walking through the grocery store and people I've never met in my entire life are like, hey, how are you? Good to see you today. How's your? I'm like, I don't know you. Why are you talking to me? Like, and it was everyone. Like, I'm like, what's your angle, right? What do you want from me? Why nobody's this nice? And so it took me a while to get used to that. I got a ton. of like, you're not from around here, are you? And I'm like, how can you tell, you know? Um, but, but it was just different. It was night and day from, from kind of my experiences growing up. One of the hardest things, though, was the food situation, okay? Now, if you know me, you know I love food, okay? And it was really hard to find. I'm not saying there wasn't good food in Kentucky. There was. Please hear me say that. What I'm saying is um, there's only so many times you can eat a casserole. Like you take, <laughs> There's lots of different casseroles. I love me a good casserole, but when you smother something in cheese and cream and put it in a dish and put it in the oven over and over, and over again after a while, it gets a little bit... Oh, okay? And so I was like, I need to branch out. Like, back home in Boston, depending on what I'm craving, like, I I, I know where to go. Like, if I want Italian, I'm going to the North End. If I wanted Chinese, there's a place in Chinatown that's, like, one of my favorites. If I want, you know, just Peruvian chicken, like, and so on and so on. If I want a steak and cheese sub, I'm going to de Blasio's. If I want a veal parmesan sub, I'm going to Santoro's. Like, I have it down to a science, and I came here, and I was like, where can I find my good food? And so I talked to, uh, you know, some people, uh, friends of mine, some people who lived in the neighborhood in my car where do you go like where's your favorite place to eat and multiple people told me the bp like the bp They're like <laughs> the gas station <laughs> like yeah go to, don't worry but go to the bp get you some breakfast they got the best breakfast in town all right i'm gonna take you up on it was right up the street from my house i walk into the bp the sweetest lady i've ever met just how are you how can i help you honey you know the whole deal super dripping with like sweetness and i said listen i heard this is a place to eat breakfast You fix me up. Just get me whatever you would get. She's like, you want a chicken biscuit. And I got, she pulls out like this, perfectly fried, crispy, like just the right amount of spice, like huge filet of chicken breast, puts it on a giant biscuit. And then like, she asked me this question. I'll never, I can hear it just like it was today. Like, I'll never forget this woman telling me this. She said you want me to put a little gravy on there like mayonnaise, honey? I said, absolutely, I do. (laughs) Like, yes, that's the best thing I ever heard. And so she makes me this chicken biscuit, and I, I told first service, like, I've obviously, I've had quite a, I've had a few, you know, I probably count them, I was going to say one hand, maybe two hands, like transformational experiences, right? Life changes experiences. Number one, of course, is, is, is meeting Jesus and him saving me, right? Second is, is meeting my wife. And, 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 and third is becoming a father. And right underneath that is having chicken for breakfast for the first time. Like fried chicken biscuit for breakfast changed my life completely. It was, it was unbelievable. And I was like, okay. Like instantly, almost at the same time, this isn't going to make sense, but it does, right? It shattered Every stereotype and fulfilled every stereotype that I had about Kentucky in my entire life. At the same time, chicken biscuit changed my life. It was amazing. From the, from the gas station, BP. But I, the truth is I give Kentucky a hard time, uh, but I, I got so much love for Kentucky. Again, I did seven, seven years there uh, with my wife and my family, and, and, and I met some amazing people there, just dear friends who are still close with today. It was where I was baptized and, and learned to follow Jesus, learned what that looked like for real. Um, it's where I got married and had my first three kids. Um, and as I said, first three, no jokes, okay? <laughs> they continued after that, but I digress. And it's, uh, it's where God called me into ministry. Um, and so again, nothing, nothing but love and fond memories of Kentucky. But here's, here's, the, here's what I want to say. It never felt like home. It just, it never really felt like home for us, which is why in 2017, uh, when, we, when we got the opportunity to um, move to Raleigh, North Carolina and join Relentless Church and, and uh, just were so excited about what God was doing down here. We had been supporting and following and praying from afar and God kind of lined things up and opened the doors and, and we moved here. And, it, and, and just from the very first moment we walked in, uh, specifically I'm talking about Relentless Church, it felt like home. It felt like home, and Raleigh felt like home too. It was like for me, it was it was a nice middle ground between uh, Boston, when I had experienced growing up, and Kentucky. It was like, all right, you know, we, we found something in the middle here, where uh, you know a little bit slower pace of life, but there's still plenty to do and lots of good food, and and you can af- at least five years ago you can afford a house, right? I don't know about today, but but um, it, it just felt right. It felt right, and 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 still, to, you know, today right here where we are, we know we're confident this is where God wants us to be, and 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 where we want to be, and we we wouldn't have it any other way. But, but I still have this, um, this thing. Whenever I, I say, whenever I go back to, to Boston to visit, whenever we go on vacation or to see family, I still call it home. I say, I'm going back home. I got to go home to Boston. Truth be told, a couple years ago, the last time we went, um, I got the distinct feeling. It was an amazing trip. It was a great uh, you know, time visiting family and friends and eating all the good foods. And it was just, it was an amazing, perfect vacation. But I had this sense, this feeling the entire time I was there that said, this is not your home. Like, this is not your home. It just didn't feel like where I was supposed to, to be anymore. And, and, and um, you know, I think what, what I'm trying to say is, is uh, we all have something in common, and, and I think it's this. We have an emotional connection to the idea of home. Each of us, we all have an emotional connection to the, to the idea of home. Now, maybe it's not the, the home life that you're currently experiencing. Maybe it's not the, the, the way you experienced home growing up but it's an emotional connection to the idea, the concept of home. Okay, let me ask you. This is crowd participation, but what, what, when you think of an ideal home, what comes to your mind? You can go ahead and shout it out loud. When I say ideal home, what do you, what do you think of? What comes to your mind? What words? Love. 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 Family? Yes. Food. What Food? Yes. I'm with you. What else? What do I hear over here? Acceptance. acceptance. Yes. We got love, family, food, acceptance. What else? Safe? Safe? That was something, Yes, safe. Yes. I mean, we could do this all day, right? There, there, there's certain things that just feel like home that, that, that we think of when we think of home, that we expect, that we want in our, in our home. We all have this emotional connection to the idea of home. We love home. And I'm convinced the reason is because home is part of God's design. We were wired for home. We carry home with us in our, in our DNA. I want you to think about it. Like, what, how else could a room full of people from all different places and experiences and backgrounds uh, with all of our different complications and personal stories come together in the same room and, and, and we start, you know, uh, uh, putting together a list of what home should look and feel like and we all kind of are on the, on the same page. We're like, yeah, you know, that feels right. That's it, right? That's, we agree. We agree on that. This is what home looks like. Even as I, I think about the actual home I grew up in with all the great memories, right? Um, I, I think about just, I could hear salsa music playing from the kitchen and all these beautiful smells coming and my mom's preparing a feast and we sit down together as a family and, and, and uh, just laugh and joke and eat and enjoy each other's company. I think about late, late nights playing uh, marathon games of Monopoly. I'm trying to convince my little brother to trade me Park Place for like three of the railroads. I didn't even have the fourth one. I'm like, come on, it's a good deal. It's a good deal, right? But these are some of the, the just the memories that come to mind when I think about home. There's some not so great memories as well. Maybe some of y'all can relate to that. There was some heartache, hard times, financial stress, relational issues. Um, You know, there there were fights and yelling. There were a lot of tears shed over time in that home. I know y'all can relate because homes, like people, are complicated, right? They're complicated. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in, um, but if I were to if we were to sit down right now and just turn all these chairs in a circle and we'll go around in a circle and take turns just sharing our stories with each other, uh, I think we'd have some really fascinating, very different experiences of home, right? That, that we would all share and each of us would have our own perspective and our own experience, wouldn't we? And yet there's something still inside each of one of us that, that longs for home, that's still searching for home. And, and I think it's because this is also true. Our experience of home doesn't quite live up to our desire for home. Our experience of home doesn't quite live up to our desire for home. It's not exactly the picture of home that you have in your mind. When you think about the ideal home and when you think about your experience of home, there's there's just sometimes there's kind of a gap, right? There's just they don't quite match up. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Like, like maybe you were looking for something that was never really there. Like it was kind of there, but it wasn't really there. Have you ever felt that? Like, like if I could just go back to that place or recreate that memory or recreate that experience, if I could just go back to that one thing, then everything else would start to fall into place and everything else would maybe finally make sense again. And it's this idealized version of home that we, that we carry with us. Sometimes it can lead us to have disillusionment when we realize our actual homes are filled with people, <laughs> like human beings and humans are messy we're complicated, right? In any home I've ever been a part of, there's always been some mess. Could be small, little disagreements, could be real big, kind of feels like they're, they're life-altering things and, and, and everything in between, right? It's, it's, you know, when my wife and I first got married and, and our biggest fights came over her not f- refilling the ice tray, <laughs> who puts an empty tray back in the freezer? What's that going to do, right? There's conflict there, right? You know what I mean? Or, 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 you know, fast forward 10 years later and it's five kids running around and she hit me and he hit me and she tore my toy and, and, and did this and mom and dad and I have reheated my coffee six times this morning and I can't remember the last time I had a hot meal and it's like there's relational conflict going on in this place, right? And again, we have everything in between. I don't know your stories, but I know lots of us have baggage. We all have a story. We bring that baggage with us into our new homes, right? The stuff we experienced in our homes growing up and, and, and our, our issues, our baggage bumps up against other people's and, and all of a sudden there's, there's mess, right? Because again, we're human. That's where that saying comes from. I'm only human, right? And we make mistakes and we have issues, Any home I've ever been a part of, there's been some mess. we got to know that going in. we got to expect that. But there's also a whole lot of beauty. Any home I've ever been a part of, any home, when I think about home, when I get excited about home, it's because I know that there's beauty there. Instinctively, there's something special. There's something beautiful that I'm trying to to get back to. And that's why we still carry that emotional connection, again, to the idea of home, because we know there's beauty there. The idea of home has been with us from the beginning. In the beginning, in the beginning, God made a garden. He called that garden the Garden of Eden. And that garden was incredible. That garden was perfect, right? It was the world the way God had intended it to be. In the garden, everything was right. Every human need was met and everything was made to last forever. Humans in the garden, when I asked you for your ideal home, somebody in the back said safe. Humans in the garden were so safe that the the Bible describes them in the book of Genesis as naked and unashamed. There was no conflict. Humans walked in perfect fellowship with God and with one another. This was the garden, the perfect garden that God created. And what it reminds us, the Garden of Eden reminds us that we were made for a home that was lost. We were created, we were made for a home that that has been lost. And you don't have to read very far into Genesis to find out that uh, what happened next. There's no more garden, right? We talked a lot about this a couple months back. Pastor David led us through the FOMO series, fear of missing out, right? And then we talked about the deception of the enemy and how, how he was so crafty and strategic. But he, what he did was he convinced Adam and Eve, the first humans, uh, that, that God was holding out on them, that, that, that God was keeping something from them. And they, he convinced them not to trust God anymore. And, and in that moment, we humans were removed from the garden, okay? We became wanderers in a new world, where things don't go right anymore, okay? where uh, now there's pain and there's struggle and there's suffering and there's strife. Death came into the world because we were removed from the ideal home that we were created for. And now, as a result, each and every one of us carries the memory of Eden inside of us. We carry with us the memory of Eden. Think about that. All throughout history, human beings have carried with them this idea of something that none of us have ever actually experienced. Isn't that crazy? Like, you know what home should look like. You know what home is supposed to feel like instinctively because you carry it inside of you. You carry with you the memory of Eden. And so now we long for something that we've never actually experienced. One of the coolest things about scripture for me is, is, um, is that it's God's story, but it's also our story. And right? it's, 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 uh, it's human stories that have been carried out throughout time and passed on throughout centuries. And if we read scripture, that, 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 and you read the stories of the people in the Old Testament, um, you'll see this idea that this idea of home, this concept of home and, and the human obsession with home has been with us for a really long time. It, it's something that comes up over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament and all through the Bible. I'll give you some examples. Um, Abraham, father Abraham, right? The father of our faith. Uh, Abraham, God promised Abraham a family that would be greater in, in, in number than the stars in the sky. He said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. Okay. Your descendants will be greater than the, the grains of sand at the, at the beach. And then God promised Abraham a land where his people could dwell in safety, okay? And Abraham spent the rest of his life searching for that that home, driven by the memory of Eden. Moses, okay, Moses was brought up as royalty, as a baby, he was found in the river by, by the, the sister of the, the pharaoh, the king of Egypt, brought into the palace, raised as royalty, had everything you could want in a home. Anything that money could buy, he had status, he had, he had, you know, from the world standards, a perfect home, and yet he became a young man and had something so deep inside of him that said, hey, you know what, I need to break away from this, this isn't my real home, I got to find my people, I got to find my home, and God, led by God and his spirit, was led to... Um, ultimately lead the, the, the people, God's people, out of Egypt, but then spent the next 40 years wandering through the wilderness searching for home, a home that he never actually got to walk into. You think Moses carried with him the memory of Eden? King David, who's, when you look at his home life, when you look at his family, man, just crazy, so much relational baggage. David's family was a, was a mess, and yet all he ever wanted, all he talked about, if you read through the Psalms, is to to, to see a man who is obsessed with the idea of home, of building a home for God, the temple. He never got to build it. His son eventually did it. But again, if you read through the Psalms, you'll see he's always talking about the house of the Lord. I want to return to the house of the Lord. I want to spend the rest of my days in the house of the Lord. I want to build the house of the Lord. The house of God is where I'll be forever, right? David was obsessed with home, maybe driven by the memory of Eden. Nehemiah, who if you're not familiar with his story, man, he, he went back to Jerusalem, his, his home, the home of God's people, years after it had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. God's people had been scattered all over the known world. And Nehemiah says, I'm going back to, to rebuild my home, to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the wall so God's people can come back in safety, come back to God and worship him so that we can come home to be with our, our, our father, God. Nehemiah was, was driven. He carried deep inside of him the memory of Eden. And so I just think it's clear. As humans, we are wired for home, and it's always been that way. Now the question becomes, if that's true, if we've been longing for home and striving for home, and yet somehow we never seem to get there, what do we do with that? Where does that leave us? Where do we go from here? I told first service, this is the part, like in student ministry, and sometimes when I'm teaching the kids in elementary, uh, I ask a question, everything gets really quiet, and then you hear a kid just pipe up out of nowhere, Jesus? Like, <laughs> like, like the 90% chance I'm going to get it right if I say Jesus, right? The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. That's who we, that's who we turn to. That's where we go. Jesus made the perfect home possible. Jesus made the perfect home possible for us through his his life, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus made the perfect home possible. And now we don't just have a memory of Eden, but we have the promise of eternity in Jesus Christ. We have the promise of eternity. We don't just have a memory of what was past, but we know what is promised for the future. Like all humans, we carry with us the memory of Eden, but as believers in Jesus Christ, we know what it means to have the promise of eternity, Jesus has prepared a place for us. Jesus has prepared a place for us. I want to show it to you in John chapter 14, uh, verses 1 to 3. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now the context here is uh, Jesus talking to his disciples uh, at the last supper. This is right after he had just uh, washed the disciples' feet, all 12 of them one by one, in just a beautiful, amazing act of love and service and humility. And then they're sitting down to have this meal together and Jesus proceeds to tell the disciples, hey, one of you guys is gonna betray me. One of y'all is gonna stab me in the back. All of you are going to deny me before the day's over. And by the way, I'm leaving tonight. I'm I'm leaving. And and, and understandably so, upon hearing this news, the disciples start freaking out. They're turning on each other like, I'm not going to stab you. It's you. It must be you. I would never stab you in the back, Jesus. Jesus, I would never deny you. How can you say that? What do you mean you're leaving? We haven't accomplished what what, what you were going to accomplish. I don't understand. How can this happen? They're freaking out. They're freaking out. And Jesus says to them again in verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. What do you mean, don't be troubled, Jesus? Can you hear yourself? Do you hear what you just said? You just told us one of us is going to stab you in the back. One of us is going to betray you. We're all going to deny you, and you're leaving. How would we not freak out? But notice the language Jesus uses. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus did not expect, nor has he ever promised his disciples a life without trouble. In fact, what he promised them was that, that they could have an untroubled heart in the midst of a troubled life. And he says, the way, the way you do that is to put your trust in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. Remember, anytime we see believe in scripture in the context of faith, it's more accurately translated as trust. Jesus himself said, the, 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 the demons uh, believe in me, right? But they don't, they don't follow me. They don't trust me. It's not the same, it's not the same thing. So Jesus is saying, hey, you put your trust in God, put your trust in me. This was a radical statement from him because it's him declaring, by the way, God and I are one. Put your trust in me as you would put your trust in him. And if you do that, he makes another radical promise. Doing this will bring you comfort and peace to your troubled heart in the midst of a troubled life. It's a theme that Jesus would return to over and over again. In fact, a couple of chapters later, John chapter 16, verse 33 He said this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble, but in me, you will find peace. I have overcome, so you will overcome. It's a promise that if we trust in him, He will sustain us. He will give you comfort and peace that doesn't make sense based on your circumstances, that doesn't make sense to the outside world. Jesus is imploring us. He's imploring his disciples to trust him. I know it's hard, right? I'm telling you up front, it's gonna be scary and it won't make sense, but trust me. Trust me, trust me in your hearts. Trust me with your hearts, all of it. Don't hold back every piece. Trust me, trust me, he says. And then he proceeds to tell them why, verse two. Because in my father's house, there are many rooms. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? In other words, this is not our home. This is not our home. Jesus is saying, hey, trust me, all right? Trust me. I'll give you peace. I'll sustain you. But please understand, we were created for something else. We were created for something more. We were created for something greater, right? Eden, which we talked about, that perfect home that God intended for us, and, and, and heaven, the perfect home that he promises for us. Right now, we're living in the in-between. But, but Jesus says, even though you can't experience it yet, I want you to know that it's true. You, may, you carry the memory of it in your heart, so you know it's true. Jesus is saying, I came to confirm it for you. I came to highlight that for you, to verify it so that you don't get too comfortable here, so that you understand I have something greater for you. This world is not your home. You have the promise of eternity. I just love, I absolutely love Jesus' confidence here. The confidence with which he speaks about heaven. Because Jesus can see what we never could. He can see what the disciples never could. Millions upon billions, millions, if not billions of, of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue reunited in God's house. All of God's children, coming back together, okay, reunited, their relationships restored with God the Father and with one another. This is a picture of heaven that only Jesus can see, and because he can see it, he tells us confidently, hey, do not be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled. I can almost picture Jesus smiling when he said it. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. I go there to prepare a place for you. I go there to prepare a place for for you. Do not be troubled. This world is not your home, okay? You have a perfect home and a perfect Father, and He's expecting you. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Again, I go to prepare a place for you. Love prepares a welcome. My wife and I had a uh, have a newborn baby three months ago. uh, She's three months old. Uh, Before she was born, okay, we went through great care and effort to prepare her nursery, okay, the little room that that we were going to bring her home to, okay, to the point that I I painted it three different times, (laughs) three different colors, okay? Um, You know, great strategy went into what decorations go where and where the furniture goes and then putting together the the crib and all that stuff okay three months in she has spent zero nights in that room okay (laughs) zero she's in our bed right in between us all right so so that's beside the point (laughs) that's beside the point the point is this because we were expecting her and because we loved her even before she came into the world, we went to great lengths to prepare a, a, a place for her so that she would know she was loved and that she was welcome. This is what Jesus does for us. This is what Jesus means when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, okay? Jesus prepares a place for his people, one, because he loves them, and two, because he's confident of their arrival. He says, I go. I go. I go. When Jesus says, I go, uh, that that speaks to his own planning and his initiative, okay? Uh, Jesus was, was not taken to the cross. He went there willingly. He went there purposefully. It was part of his plan. It was his choice, and the reason he did that was to make a way so that we could be reunited with God the Father, to make a way for us, all of us, God's children, to finally be able to come home, Jesus prepares a place for us, and he makes a perfect home possible for us, and we have the promise of eternity. And in the meantime, while we're waiting for that day to come, he's made a way for us to be present with God here and now. And we talked about the the temple a lot in the past few weeks, right? But the, the temple, there was a veil in the temple that we weren't allowed to go behind. And when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn from top to bottom, and it was thrown aside. And and, and what that means is the barrier between us and God has been removed. And now our relationship with God has been restored thanks to Jesus Christ, okay? Our relationship with God the Father has been restored. And now we can live in between Eden and eternity with purpose. We live between Eden and eternity with purpose, okay? We're in this space. What that means is we're in this space between the home that we lost and still carry the memory of And and the home, the future home that is promised someday, we live right here in the middle of that. Smack dab in the middle between Eden and eternity. Okay? And guess what? Here's what I want you to understand, church. That's not an accident. That's not an accident. God wasn't uh, taken off guard. God's not surprised by this. It was part of his, his plan. Okay? God never wanted to live in a temple. That wasn't his idea. God's idea was bigger than that. It was so much more beautiful than that. It was so much more strategic than that. God's idea was us. God's idea was was you and me. It was his people, the church, okay? God said, in between Eden and eternity, I got this plan, this beautiful, masterful plan that starts with with my creation, okay? My beautiful creation, uh, my people, living, breathing humans that I created to be my presence, To be my ambassadors, to be my light here on earth, to be living, breathing reflections of home. In between what was once perfect in the past and what will be perfect again, I'm going to give the world the church, and I'm gonna give them a mission. And make no mistake, church, we are called, we are called to build temporary homes and build temporary churches in between Eden and eternity that will be reflections of our true home, that will give the world a taste, a preview, okay, that will serve as a reminder of the perfect home that Jesus has already prepared for us in eternity, to give people a glimpse of Eden, to bring just a little bit of heaven down to earth so that the world might know how wide and how long and how deep and how great is the love of Jesus Christ in the hopes that they might come running home to him. Our desire for home should shape how we build our homes, and our desire for home should shape who we are as the church. Our desire for home should shape how we build our homes, and our desire for home should shape how we build the church. Our job as the people of God, as his church, is to stay right here in the middle, building and being reflections of home to a world that desperately needs it. And maybe, maybe you're sitting here wondering, like, okay, Raph, that sounds good, right? Like, I think I'm down with that. I'm, I'm, I'm all for bringing a little bit of heaven down to earth. I'm all for that. But, but how? Right? What, does, what does that look like? What does it mean, practically speaking? What does home look like? And this is where, again, I, I believe scripture is so helpful. Because God has given us the answer in his word. He's given us a glimpse of what home should be like. And we see it all throughout the New Testament in all the verses that talk about how we should treat one another. Okay, so so I want you to uh, just imagine this with me. Okay, imagine what our homes would look like. Imagine what the church, God's church, would look like, what it would be like if we would just love one another. Love one another. 16 different times in the New Testament, we are commanded to love one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Comfort one another, encourage one another, and pray for one another. I want you to take a minute. Look at that list. Can you imagine the home that looks like this? Can you imagine the church that looks like this, that behaves like this, that carries this out into the world? Can you imagine the church that's truly loving one another? that's truly honoring one another above yourselves, that's living in harmony with one another. In 2022, in, in, in this space, in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, where we live, with everything that's going on, can you imagine the church that, that looks at a brother and a sister and says, hey, you know what? I don't agree with you on that, but I love you. Okay, I don't, I don't, that lives in harmony with one another. That means, hey, we may never be on the same page on this particular issue, but the Jesus in me and the Jesus in you rises us above that, and I can still love you despite that. It means that despite everything that the world says keeps us apart with our our socioeconomic background, our cultural background, our, our race, our politics, where we stand on very important issues, okay, we still lift each other up. We still forgive each other. We still accept one another. We still serve one another in love. We still, we bear one another's burdens. That means, hey, even when you don't let me, even when you're trying to hold it in, we are in such relationship. I love you so much. I love you so well that I'm going to carry that weight with you because we're brothers and sisters. We're family and we're the church. And that's what God called us to do, who we called us to be. Be patient with one another. Comfort one another. Can you imagine the homes that look like this, that's constantly praying for one another? We may not have the perfect home past, We may not be living in the perfect home future, but we can build homes and we can be the church that looks like this right here and now. In fact, I'm convinced that's what God has called us to do. That's who he's called us to be. In between Eden and eternity, our desire for home should shape how we build our homes and and our desire for home should shape who we are as the church. In other words, it's that thing inside of us That each and every one of us have that desire for the ultimate home that should empower us, propel us, encourage us. It should be the thing that leads us to begin to reflect what God has designed, what He intended in Eden, and what He promises in eternity. And listen, there's gonna be trouble, it's gonna be hard, we're gonna make mistakes it's going to get messy because we're not in Eden. We're not in heaven. We're right here in the middle. We're right here in the middle. There's tension in the middle, right? It gets messy in the middle. It's complicated in the middle. But what I want you to understand is we're not alone in the middle. Jesus meets us in the middle. Jesus is here with us in the middle. So we can do this church. We can be this church. We can build these homes. And we're called to do it. We know what home should look like. We we know what home should feel like, even though we've never experienced it fully, because we know the love of Jesus Christ and he's implanted it in our hearts. And now he's asking us to trust him. Here's what I want you to understand about heaven. The entire focus of heaven is being united with Jesus Christ. It's not, it's, it's, it's not about, uh, You know, streets of gold or pearly gates. It's not about angels strumming whatever song you think on their little harps. Like, whatever you picture of heaven, the focus of heaven, the bottom line about heaven is the presence of Jesus Christ. Okay? Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. And we can take comfort in knowing that even as Jesus prepares a place for us there, He's preparing us for that place here and now. Jesus meets us in the middle. There's a, there's a verse in, in uh, Revelation, I think it's chapter 3, verse 20. I don't have it up there, but, but basically it's Jesus talking to the church, and he says, I stand at the door and I knock, and anyone who opens the door and lets me in, I will eat with them. Okay, and, the, and, the, and, and what he's saying is he's referring specifically to, to supper, to like the dinnertime meal, which in that culture, in that time and place, meant I'm coming in and we're hanging out for hours. Like we're going to eat slowly and talk, and we're doing life together. It was a symbol of relationship. And a lot of times we take that verse and think Jesus is just uh, talking about um, non-believers, okay? I I stand at the door and I knock. And you open the door, I will come in and you put your trust in me and I'll save you. And that's true, but it's not just for them. It's for those who've made the decision to follow Jesus as well. And he's saying, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if you open the door... We can do a relationship together. We can do life together. I'm coming in and I'm hanging out and I'm staying with you and I'm going to be the power and I'm going to be the strength that you draw from and I'm going to be the one who propels you to do this, to to, to love that way when it doesn't make sense, to accept people you don't really want to accept, to to serve and to forgive and to do all the things that I came and did for you when I was walking and living. I'm going to do it in and through you now if you just let me. I stand at the door and I knock. Would you open it and let me in? And that's how we be this church. And so I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray here in a second. I've been praying all week that we would step into this, that, that, that thing inside of us that I truly do believe we all carry, the desire for home, that emotional connection to home. It's not an accident. It's from God. And it wasn't just so we could be homesick. It was so that we could know this isn't our home. But in the meantime, we're going to make it a reflection of our home so that the world might know that there's a God who loves them. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this day, God. I thank you for this church. I thank you for your love and for your grace, God. I thank you for your perfect design, God, that you created us with that thing in us that would always know, God, almost like a, like a GPS that draws us back to you, God. Thank you, Lord, that it was perfect once before. And even though we messed it up, God, there was a play, you made a way for, for us to live in that perfect home again, God. But in the meantime, Lord, thank you that you gave us a mission, that you love us so much. You included us in your plan, Lord, to be the church, to build the homes that would make an impact here on earth, that would draw more people to you, that would point them to your son, Jesus Christ. We pray now that you would empower us to do that, that you would encourage us and embolden us to do that, even when it's hard, even when there's trouble, God, that we would not let our hearts be troubled because we put our trust in you. We love you, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all. Have a great week. Come back next week. Bring a friend. Peace out.